0: We're going to be talking about the perfect marriage. Aren't you glad you came today? We're going to be looking at a passage in our series, God's Story Our Story, from the minor prophet Hosea, Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. As I said in our announcements, we've been working our way through God's word to see that in all of the stories of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, God is ultimately telling us one story, and until we understand that one story, we'll never be able to make sense of our story. We started back in October in Genesis and worked our way through the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then we looked at the period of the judges, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And we looked in Joshua how finally the people of God settled in the promised land and they conquered the promised land and eventually divided the promised land. But we quickly saw that the people of God needed something more. They needed a king and a kingdom and so in 1 Samuel God eventually brings a king and a kingdom to the people of God and it would be through the books like 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings and even the writings of poetry and wisdom that the kings and his representatives write like Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes we see the work of the king on God's behalf and then the last few weeks we moved into the major prophets. We looked at stories like Daniel and Isaiah and even, uh, and even last week looking at the major prophet Jeremiah. Well, we finally today make our way to the minor prophet Hosea. Now why do they call them major and minor prophets? Are Jeremiah and Daniel and Isaiah more important and more significant than the minor prophets Hosea and Micah and Nahum? No, just means they're shorter in length. So the minor prophets might be short and sweet, as they say, but mighty and strong and rich in truth. A prophet was used by God in the Old Testament to be the mouthpiece of God, to be the one that would represent God and represent his kingdom. And, and it was God's way of sending a prophet to be the mouthpiece of God. That people would be able to look at a prophet and hear a prophet and understand who God was. And through the articulation of God's word and through the demonstration of the values of the kingdom of God, people might understand who God is, this unseen God. Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. Hosea's name means salvation, written 750 years before the coming of Christ, more than likely a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. Hosea uh, of the prophet Isaiah, Hosea the minor prophet is called to marry a woman by the name of Gomer and even marry her knowing full well that she will eventually abandon him and turn her back on him. But he marries her anyway. And eventually the fulfillment comes true. She steps out and cheats and abandons Hosea. James Boyce, the great pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, once called Hosea 3 the greatest chapter in the Bible. What can God teach us today through this minor prophet? Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days, and you shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or without pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return And seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. An elementary art teacher gave her preschool students a simple assignment. Draw a picture of something that you love And the art teacher went to one girl in particular and said, what are you drawing? And she said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the art teacher said, but we don't know what God looks like. And she said, just you wait and see. For centuries, people have been longing to understand the character and nature of the unseen God. And particularly in the Old Testament, people knew about God, and believed in God, and worshiped God, but struggled through every generation to relate with this God who could not be seen. And so God, in his grace and in his wisdom, gave us prophets, both major and minor prophets, So that they might, as I said, articulate and demonstrate the unseen God. It was as if God was saying, through you and through your word and through your ministry, people might know who I am and understand my character. And it's here in Hosea, particularly Hosea chapter 3, that God uses the analogy of marriage and the metaphor of the bridegroom to explain to us how he is the god who comes down and relates to his people it's the analogy of marriage and the metaphor of the bridegroom that god calls us to understand how he the unseen god relates to his people. So what can we learn this morning from Hosea chapter 3 concerning how God relates to his people? The first thing I want you to see in Hosea chapter 3 is that our relationship to God is like a marriage. Verse 1, love this woman again, Gomer, even Look at the second half of verse 1. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, God is connecting the two. Love her in such a way and make her your wife again, just as I love the children of Israel. He's likening his relationship to his people like a marriage covenant. And this would be the theme all throughout the prophets. The theme and analogy of marriage would be the theme all throughout the prophets. Why? Well, there are many metaphors throughout the Bible that we use concerning God. Take the metaphor of the shepherd and his sheep. Take the metaphor of the king and his subjects. Take the metaphor of the father and his children. But there is not one metaphor that comes close to explaining the depth of the love and the commitment of God to his people like the metaphor and analogy of marriage. The others won't do. Now, you can talk about the priority that the shepherd has for his sheep, but when you talk about the exclusivity that a bridegroom has for his bride, when you talk about the exclusivity that a married couple is to have for one another, one another. All other metaphors don't come close. So when we talk about the priority of God for his people, and God gives us commandments like, you shall have no other gods before me. Yes, the king and the subject works, the shepherd and the sheep works. But when you tell me that God is like a husband to his bride, that I should have no other relationships but with him, that he exclusively is my God, then, and only then, does the marriage metaphor make the reality of the depth of God's love and commitment to his people actually make sense. But not only do we see the priority, but we see the intimacy of the relationship in the marriage metaphor. Once again, the shepherd and the sheep, very intimate. The king and his, the king and his subjects, even the father and a, and a child. But when you talk about the intimacy between a husband and wife, it magnifies our understanding of our relationship to God. That marriage can't be a formality, that I can't know my wife from afar, that I need to draw near to my wife and my wife needs to draw near to me. There must be an intimacy that is shared with no one else on earth. Now are you understanding why God in Hosea and all throughout the prophets wants us to understand this metaphor of marriage, this metaphor of the bridegroom and this analogy of marriage. Listen to me, you will never understand how God relates to his people and you will never understand the depth of his love for you until you understand it in the context of marriage. The bridegroom coming for his bride, our relationship to God is like a marriage. But we not only see that here in chapter 3, unfortunately, we see point 2, our relationship to God is like a broken marriage. Not only is our relationship to God like a marriage, it is a broken marriage. When he says in verse 1, when God says to Hosea, go again, what is he saying? I know you've already been down this road. The word again is taking us back to chapter 1. That first time when Hosea took his chances and married Gomer, knowing that it might be possible that this woman would turn her back on Hosea, and God is saying, do it again. Do it again. The word again Is understanding that this woman has left you already she's already abandoned you she's already betrayed you she's already cheated you she's already stepped all over you and I want you to do it again why look at the end of verse 1 though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins once again, God is describing his relationship to his people like Hosea's marriage to Gomer. That Hosea, you will never understand and be able to proclaim, to proclaim my goodness and my love to my people until you first understand what it's like. That Gomer turning her back on you is what I have to experience every day. Just as I love my people, the passage says in verse 1, though they turn away for cakes of raisins. What's God doing here? I call this divine sarcasm. God is saying, you know what, you want to know how easy it is for my people to turn away from me? They will turn away for a cake of raisins. It doesn't take much for them to be in church on Sunday morning worshiping me, telling me how much they love me and adore me and give my life, give their life to me. And all it takes is something as simple as a cake of raisins. And they will sell themselves to the world and to things smaller than God. Hosea and the people of God at Coral Ridge and all those that are listening... The way that Gomer treated Hosea is the way that God deals with and has to put up with us every single day. Our marriage and our relationship with God is like a broken marriage. Now you can understand this metaphor a little little more now, a little more fully. When a king sees his subjects rebel, yes, he gets angry. But when a spouse has another spouse cheat on them or abandon them, that's a whole other emotion. And God is saying, This is what I deal with. This is what you put me through every single day. Not only like a marriage, but a broken marriage. And you can quickly see here in this passage what God is trying to do. He's raising up Hosea to be a representation of him. But he's also raising up Gomer to be a representation and a depiction of who? You and me. And before we look down on Gomer, we need to look ourselves in the mirror and say just as Gomer abandoned the bridegroom. We abandon our bridegroom all the time. And so the question is, if this is how God sees his relationship to us, if this is how God mourns and laments how quickly we are to turn away from him with things smaller than him, how in the world would God restore this broken marriage, how would God restore a people that so quickly abandoned him? Well, lastly, third thing I want you to see here is that our relationship to God is not only like a marriage and not only like a broken marriage, it is a costly marriage. Our marriage to God is expensive. What happens here? How does Hosea restore his marriage to Gomer for the second time? It says in verse 2 that he has to buy her back for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. What is happening here? We're told that Gomer had been captured and bought and enslaved. And now she was being auctioned off in the marketplace. And so what we have here in chapter 3 is Gomer on the auction block being sold to the highest bidder. And may I just make mention how quickly the world will eat you up, chew you up, and spit you out. She left Hosea the first time thinking she would find fulfillment in the world. And now all of a sudden in chapter 3 she finds herself back. And it's like the world saying who wants her next. This is how easily the world will spit us up to the, back into the culture. And history tells us that an auction like this was not only public, but that the person being auctioned off would more than likely be stripped naked. And so you can picture Gomer, stripped naked, full of guilt and full of shame and humiliation, being auctioned off to the highest bidder. And more than likely, if you can picture in your mind this scene, Gomer closing her eyes... Not wanting to face and to look at the men that were bidding on her. And can you imagine her amazement when she hears a man's voice say 5 shekels, 10 shekels, 15 shekels. And her amazement when she says I recognize that voice. What in the world is he doing here? Is he here to punish me or kill me? And to her amazement, to the highest bidder, went Gomer. And that day it was Hosea. And you can imagine the feeling of watching Hosea walk up to Gomer and cover her in her shame and cover her guilt and lead her out as his bride once again to be covered to cover her nakedness and cover her guilt and cover her shame. But what a costly endeavor this was for Hosea. Paying an exorbitant amount of money to get his bride back. Paying this great financial price. Can you imagine the social price that Hosea paid? The, the shame and the guilt, his reputation on the line. Say, you're going back Again? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But willing to endure the social pressure and the emotional pressure of having to restore this relationship with his prodigal bride. What an incredible story of redemption. To hear the voice of the one who had every right to condemn you, but then cover you. It's a mar- remarkable. It's remarkable a marvelous story of God's redeeming grace. But you remember I said Jim Boyce mentioned that this chapter is the greatest chapter in the Bible? Why? Because he went on to say that this chapter portrays the greatest story in the Bible, the death Of Jesus Christ for his people in the most concise and poignant form to be found anywhere. You see, Hosea chapter 3 is not just a story that was written 700 years before the coming of Christ. This is for all those that know Jesus. This is your story this morning. On the auction block of life, naked and ashamed. And then Jesus Christ comes to cover your guilt. And here is the promise at the end of the chapter. Verse 5, Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in their later days. This is the promise for all those that are redeemed by the perfect bridegroom, redeemed by Jesus Christ. This is our story. But instead... Of Jesus redeeming us with money, he redeems us with his own life. Instead of covering us with garments, Jesus covers us with his blood. And instead of escorting us out of the marketplace that day, Jesus actually takes our place. And we're told it is on the cross of Calvary that Jesus became naked, that Jesus was on a cross, taking our shame and our guilt in our place so that we might forever be covered in the righteous blood of the bridegroom. You see, we all long for the perfect spouse and the perfect marriage. And if you know Jesus Christ this morning, you can because this promise and this analogy continues all throughout the New Testament and to the very end of days, and it's in Revelation 19 that we finally see the perfect bridegroom and the perfect marriage feast of the Lamb. And it says, hallelujah, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. This is the promise for all those who believe. As we close this morning, I want to give a couple points of practical application. I want to give a point of application first to all those who are married in the room and listening at home. Could you imagine, could you imagine if we actually saw our spouse as God sees us in Christ? Could you imagine if we saw our spouse as God sees us in Christ, there is power, there is healing, and there is the promise of restoration and reconciliation for those that are, find their identity and their hope in Jesus. For all those that are single or maybe widowed, there is great pain and there is a great void in your life. And there might be some of you here and listening that might actually attempt to fill that void and satisfy that longing with things, anything under the sun, thinking that somehow there is that perfect someone out there that will satisfy that void and satisfy that emptiness. And I am here to say, look no further than Jesus Christ, your perfect spouse, your perfect bridegroom, that you could search the world over for the perfect partner, the perfect spouse, and you will always come up short. Find your hope in the one who saved you and redeemed you. Find your hope this morning and allow Jesus, the perfect bridegroom, to fill that void. Now, you might be here this morning or listening saying, Pastor, I haven't followed a word you've said. I'm new to this whole Christianity thing. I don't even know where to find Hosea in the Bible. I don't even know if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You are standing on the auction block of this world. And the world has been doing its bidding bidding for fame and for money and for influence and power. And all I can say to you this morning is do not buy that lie because there is one who stands in the midst of the crowd who says, I will do the highest bidding and I will do it with my very life. It is Jesus Christ who announces in the marketplace of your life this morning, come down and come home and come to the one who lays down his life so that you could live. He stands in the midst as the highest bidder and says, my life, my death, my resurrection for you. Would you come home? He invites you to come, not tomorrow, not the next day. He invites you to surrender your life to him today as his bride, forever covered in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Come home. Your bridegroom is waiting for you to come home. This past week, I've been doing a lot of research and reading on the ceremonies and customs of marriage throughout history and throughout cultures. And it's interesting to see all of the different customs and and ceremonies that have been throughout time and space and history and culture. But you know the one thing that remains constant, regardless of culture, regardless of history, it's the wedding garment. Regardless of the culture, The bride is always dressed in some unique culturally relevant garment. Why? Because it's her day regardless of what she looks like to be made and look beautiful. And the idea is that she would be dressed in a garment and a dress so beautiful that when her groom looks at her it is irresistible. And it woos him, and it wows him unlike ever, anything ever before. Brothers and sisters, you have a God who has dressed you in Jesus Christ in the wedding garments of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And when God the Father looks down on you, he sees his perfect bride radiant and beautiful Now go out and live in light of that reality. Go out and live in light of that great truth today and this week. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't get married? Do you think he said, I just, I don't want to be bothered with it all. Why did Jesus not get married? He didn't get married because he was waiting for you.